Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Monday. Coalfield and Company. Coalfield here, Damon, steering the ship. John Von Tobel is in as the company. Really busy weekend. Football is here, especially if you cover it out at practice like uh, so many folks here do at uh, Lotus Broadcasting with the Raiders and UNLV Football. We just had the Hall of Fame game. We got the first week of uh, practice games coming up, middle and end of the week. So we got all that. We got conference chaos still going on. Certainly the Pac-12 crumbling heavily last week, especially on Friday. Uh, That puts into a bunch of questions what's going to happen with the West Coast athletic programs and schools. So there's a lot of talking being done right now about the Mountain West and what remains of the Pac-12, plus we had a good, interesting fight to talk about over the weekend. Um, and we're talking about crossover fight with boxing, and then we also had a boxing match on the baseball field. So a lot of good stuff to get to. I can't remember everything we're going to get to here over the next three hours. There's no reason to tease it with 17 elements. Right, John? Right. Bad radio. Let's get right to it. So we come right out of the gates, and I just asked you, I was like, hey, dude, I was out covering UNLV football practice this morning, so I didn't get to do my daily roundup of – every college football insider to see what the scuttlebutt was today. Cause it got real quiet on Saturday. And if you don't know what's happening Thursday and Friday, basically the PAC 12 just got ripped to shreds as Oregon and Washington agreed to go to the big 10, the big 12, bringing in Utah, Arizona, Arizona state on the heels of Colorado. So now you got a PAC four, which doesn't mean people are Getting a little too froggy, and maybe it's an agenda they have. Get a little too froggy about the Pac-12 being completely done. These four teams, and by the way, the war chest they have, and the fight that they can engage in over monies. Mm-hmm. You know, schools just leaving. You don't just get to leave without paying some sort of price. So there might be a nice deal here in terms of money for George Klyavkov. Now the faith in George to be an innovator. <laughs> And a guy who's going to convince others to join a new Pac-12, that's up for grabs. I have no idea. What we've seen of the guy so far has been pretty, pretty disappointing. What have you seen today in terms of rumors? I just saw one come down, and you know this had been discussed before, that Cal and Stanford are going to look for a home. If it's not a beefed-up Pac-12 where they're the kings of the conference, right. they could look to the ACC, baby. The ACC is apparently in the next 24 hours. Expected to have two calls to vet and have early exploratory discussions on the potential additions of Cal and Stanford. The best part of the report, too, uh, is that for what it's worth, the ACC has been having conversations about Pac-12 schools for about a year. Well, you think you kind of dragged your feet if you actually had some schools of consequence. For the well, most part. I don't think Stanford and Cal were really available. Obviously, there was that whole thing with Klyavkov that had been floated that the Pac-12 and the ACC, the old Pac-12, the way it existed, and the ACC could merge in some way. I think the ACC is looking at a couple of things. Um, They screwed themselves into, it's not a terrible TV deal, but it's a long TV deal. They don't have an out. So they're stuck with that deal until, like I think, 2031. I don't know if adding more teams or a change in the makeup of the conference gets them back to a negotiating table with ESPN. Maybe it does. Um, And they're also looking at the possibility of having – Clemson and Florida State bail. Florida State, you know, one region has been really loud, really immature guy, infantile behavior, but uh, they could be on the way out. I think North Carolina could move somewhere if they wanted to. Uh, And then, you know, let's go back to something I talk about all the time, and that is being in a conference of like-minded schools. Uh, The academia world generates a lot of money. And, you know, for Stanford and Cal, 
to match up with some of the Mountain West Conference schools, probably not super desirable to be able to match up with a conference that has a good academic reputation would be interesting for Stanford and Cal. Now, the thing with the ACC, I would think they'd have to, if they're going to do this, they're, they're thinking like the Big Ten, and that is, you know, let's go coast to coast in terms of a conference. So they'll have to have some other teams, well, some other schools that will match, a, you know, regionally. I don't know if that means they add two other schools from the West and the Mountain. I'm not sure, but they, you know, they got to be thinking about it. Well, yeah, and that's actually to, to my comment too about uh, you know having these conversations for a year. I would assume that the Stanford and Cal weren't the only teams that they thought that they wanted to add from the Pac-12, so maybe they were a little behind the eight ball there. But for the most part, that's my initial th- follow-up thought, which is if you're going to be the ACC and you're going to try to do this thing that the Big Ten's doing, which is hey, we can control the TVs right from from morning till night. Well, you've got to have more than just two West Coast teams, so that then would involve you would assume right. The Mountain West, in some form or fashion, or maybe the other two Pac-12 teams, although they have not been listed yet, in terms of maybe being considered Washington State and Oregon State. So maybe that does mean an ACC comes calling for one of these Mountain West teams. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that would be the logic, logical yeah. thought afterward. Meanwhile, Oregon State, you know, still part of the Pac-4. Rumors that Oregon State had been reaching out to the Big 12. San Diego State had been reaching out to the Big 12. So, I mean, it's a, it's a free-for-all. And to find conferences where everyone's like, yeah, let's stick together, it's pretty tough right now. So for the Mountain West, this could be really interesting. There could be a massive merger with the Pac-4 or three of the four that are left in the old Pac-12. Um, one report said, uh, you know, aftershocks could be coming. Um, you could have a group of five conference that falls apart. And the uh, the thought was, hey, the Mountain West could fall apart if the Pac-4 wants to merge with some of the schools from the Mountain West and the Mountain West would start losing schools and they'll have to recover. And then that could mean the AAC gets picked apart by a new Pac-12. It could mean the Mountain West mm-hmm. gets uh, get some teams from the AAC. So there's a lot of things that could still happen. Um, the idea pitched over the weekend, and I'm not sure this is straight from the desk of George Klavkov, but would be something like this. But I think this conference is a little bit small. Um, Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, Wazoo stay together. And they still have Apple interested. Now, Apple's interested in in football, and you know, they're, it sounds like they're having a lot of success. And we're going to talk about it later on the show, the messy stuff, mm-hmm. and MLS. We're going to talk about it with AJ Perez, who's with Front Office Sports, who wrote a story about Messi and MLS kind of being a blueprint. And people are watching what Apple's doing there and see if it can apply to other sports. But it would be Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, Wazoo, UNLV, Boise State, San Diego State, Fresno State, and then trying to pull Tulane and SMU. From the AAC, I would assume there'd have to be a couple of other schools from that region. You know, Texas, mm-hmm. Louisiana. Um, I would hope that the Mountain West Conference schools would actually stick together a little bit. I'm not saying saying that uh, the four that could be offered by the Pac-12 need to fight for every other team in the conference, but I would like to see them fight for more. Um, I don't see Klayavkov and the existing Pac-4 forming a conference that only has 10 teams. Right. So a lot could go on here. It's crazy right now. But as we saw last week, and, man, I, I pushed back against the whole thing, and I didn't think it could happen that quickly. It happens quickly. Once decisions are made, dominoes start falling, and there's a lot of talk going on now the last three days. No, of course. And I, to the point of the Mountain West sticking together as well, outside of the four that you would think are going to be you know, considered to add to that group that you're talking about, I mean – there's a lot of other solid programs, of course, in markets that would be worth Mount it. West. Uh, yeah, the Mount West. Yeah, yeah right? well, well backed financially, have money, have upside, connected to good markets. Colorado State was the first one that came to mind mm-hmm. that I think could do really well in a conference like that. 
So, I mean, I want to say San Jose State just because of, you know, the California area that they are in. Um, and they're getting the new facility right there next to their football. They, yes, their but football they're very facility. poorly funded in other areas. And basketball, is, it's pretty bad. Right. So The program isn't the, bad. I think Tim Miles actually is going to turn them around to the middle of the conference this year. But they play in a glorified high school gym, and they right. still have no fans coming. Right. So that's that was the downfall for a team like San Jose State, which ultimately didn't make it for me when I was considering other teams. But Colorado State was at the top of the list for sure. We'll have a full yeah. list later on. I, def- I want to talk about some of the other Mountain West Conference schools. And we're also we're not going to sit here like idiots and go, hey, UNLV is part of the chosen class that could move on somewhere else. Kick these schools out because right. we're seeing that from Boise State fans who are incredibly arrogant. And it's like, guys and gals who root for Boise State, hope that you're included because you have not been the apple of many eyes not when any, rumor, none. Rumor, rumors have been out there about because it's mostly been based on market size, right? Like Tulane and SMU are of interest. Well, one because they're better academic matches mm-hmm. for the Pac-12, but they also, you know, you could say bring Dallas and the whole state of Louisiana. I would say more New Orleans proper. Um, there aren't a lot of whole, you know, there aren't a whole lot of uh, Corvallises and Pullman Washingtons that people are screaming to get Boise. Right. So chill a little bit. But yeah, none. Nobody wants it. Anything could happen here. So UNLV football practice today. Uh, practice number five. They started on Friday. They practiced all the way through the weekend. I think uh, I jumped ahead. I think it's only practice four. But anyway, um, a lot of defense talk. And I've had a chance to uh, check out the defense a bunch and the rotations. And uh, one thing they have done is they've changed over a lot of the defense. That's where a lot of the changes have been because they're going to a new defense. They're going to a 3 3 5. Michael Scher is the defensive coordinator, a guy right around 30 years old. He's a former Mizzou linebacker. He was the linebacker's coach at Arkansas, coming over with Barry Odom. And uh, he starts talking about the defensive line. They have some good experience back in guys like uh, Jalen Dixon and also Darius Johnson. But now they've added a a bunch of bodies, and they've got kind of all shapes and sizes to build that front three with a rotation that maybe goes eight deep. We got a couple of transfers in. Uh, I know Google Web up front. He's a big, strong kid. You got Alex uh, Whitmore, who who has been playing lights out up front, also. And then you have back in Naki, who was out all spring. You just you have a lot more pieces, uh, and you feel a lot better about the depth and, and you know the talent level of what we got up front. You know they they work hard. You know I didn't bring up the obvious like Darius Johnson and Jalen Dixon. You know like we you got those guys too, but we've always known we had them. So deeper line. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the spring, they analyzed, and uh, you know Dixon was probably their best lineman a year ago. Very twitchy, a little smaller at about two sixty. Uh, Darius Johnson's a JUCO kid who built himself up. Now he's a solid three hundred pounds at six three. They've got uh, Wasali Uvesi, who's dinged up a little bit now with a calf, but he's up to three twenty five. He mentioned the kids Whitmore and Webb. So Webb worked with Ricky Logo because Logo was at UL Monroe. So he's about 290. Uh, Whitmore is 285. He was at Austin P, where your guy, Akeem Davis, mm-hmm. was at. And then they've got Naki Fahina coming back. He's coming back after a pretty devastating leg injury, so I think he'll be a little slower to get in the rotation. And they've got a few more kids in that mix, so it's looking better on the defensive line. Uh, well, that and what sticks out when you look over the roster, too, is uh, the size, not just weight, but height. Like, there's some really big guys on yeah. this defensive line. They're going to have some range to them, too. And that's what I'm really interested to see is how guys like that fit into a scheme like this. You know, because when you talk about this defensive line and the general thoughts of what it's going to do, it's a lot of eating up blocks and a lot of unfor- you know, unthankful work for let everybody else kind of do everything. And so I'm really interested to see how these, some of these bigger, longer dudes, like we got what, there's a six, there's 
more guys, I think three guys were six three or taller. Well, uh, they're gonna they're also gonna they're probably gonna walk up in the three three five, and a lot of it's disguising who's coming for the quarterback. Right. So they're gonna walk up. Most times they're gonna walk up a fourth, or at least on you know first and second down, they're gonna walk up a fourth, and that could be one of the outside linebackers. Most likely, it'll be Elijah Shelton, who's mm-hmm. about six two two forty. Uh, they've got a sophomore who was an Arroyo recruit and Fisher Kamak out of Arizona. Yep. He's six seven. He came into two thirty. He's up to two forty five. So uh, was checking him out today. He's got like that's the other thing when you see guys. There's there's like I said, different shapes and sizes. And a guy like that, he, he's built to to probably weigh two seventy, mm-hmm. right? And he's only a sophomore, but he's got the build to add weight. On the opposite end of that is Xavier Carter, who they got from LSU, who was offered by just about everyone: Tennessee, Alabama, Oklahoma. Four-star guy was at LSU, but he's kind of a tweener because he's only two fifteen at six four. But you can see the size when he's walking up to the line. So they've got a lot more depth now. Um, and you know, in talking to some coaches, some of the transfers they brought in, like Webb, like Whitmore, it, they just wanted more familiar faces with experience. And those guys could be a, you know a one and done, but they can add for a year. So. Um, I think the defense is going to be ahead of the offense. The offense has some impact players, but, man, the defense, and, and they're getting healthier too. So on the back end, Jackson Turner, their most high-profile transfer with playing experience, kid from Arizona, he's starting to get in more and more, but still kind of nursing an injury, uh, I think, from the spring. So uh, they look good today. And then, you know, there are the holdovers. This, this is the other cool thing about uh, what's going on with UNLV football. As they tried to change over the roster, I just mentioned uh, – Webb and Whitmore, right? Uh, you know they know him from UL Monroe because one guy coached there, and Austin Peake is another guy coached there. When guys come in with the new staff, it's like, oh, they, well, the coaches know them. So now the guys who stayed around are like, crap, man, I got an uphill climb. But I'll tell you, and this is really quick: Jare Williams was coveted by the last staff. They taught, and he got delayed a year because of some, um, I, I don't know what it was, academic clearance problems two years ago. But they love him as a leader, and when you hear the next staff come in and then talk definitively about a guy, you're like, all right, now he's impressed two different staffs. This is a sheer again on his – in this case, he's listed as a linebacker, but nickelback to Ray Williams. The nickel linebacker position used to be called the Sam. And then everybody started wanting to throw the ball all the time instead of run the ball. So then the Sam linebacker became a defensive back. So, yeah, I guess he's a linebacker, but he's he plays that sucker's the hardest playing kid we got on the team. He wears number one for a reason. There you go. He wears number one for a reason. And he's not big. He's about 5'10", 190, but, you know, big, powerful thighs, um, leader on the field, leader off the field. And I, that's – I was impressed by that because, like I said, they loved him on the old staff. And for the new staff to come in and mostly new defensive guys, and they're like – that's the guy. Like he sticks out. That's the guy. That's good for Dre Williams. And this is why I'm really excited to watch this team play meaningful football coming up here in a few weeks. Because when you say that the defense is probably going to be ahead of the offense, when, I mean, when have we ever said right? That? Exactly. Like you know, UNLV and 450 yards a game allowed has been like a synonymous thing for yeah. a really, really long and they, time. And they, even when they've gotten better, they wear out during the year. Yep, absolutely. So the depth is so big because guys. You're going against bigger, more physical teams early in the season. Like, UTEP's going to be a pain in the ass. You know, Michigan is going to be a really physical game. Well, when you get beat up in those first four games, you got to have layers upon yep. layers, um, you know, especially in a 3-3-5 at the defensive back. 
And one like we go back to last year, right? In terms of wearing down. In the beginning of the year, you're talking about a team that looked really great. Eliel Himere and all those guys up front that looked fantastic. The secondary looked great, but as the season went along, it wore down. There wasn't much depth, and that thing started to really regress. At least on paper, this looks like a group that even if you start to get those nicks and cuts that you're expecting throughout a football season, that is going to be able to withstand that. Another trip's going out this week in our load of summer fun. Let's qualify another person right now. Three six four eleven hundred caller seven. You qualify to win four tickets to an Aviators game, and then. You qualify for the weekly grand prize trip. We've been giving away trips, eight trips in eight weeks. This week, one of my favorite cities. Uh, five days, as uh, the copywriter says, jazzing it up in New Orleans, including a, a show and a riverboat, swamp tour, uh, or and an airboat, $1,000 spending cash, or you can just take the cash, $3,000. But I would say take the trip and the cash together. But it's take the trip or take the cash thanks to Gettle Air Conditioning and Plumbing, G-O-E-T-T-L. <laughs> They keep you cool, but it's hard to spell. 364-1100, Caller number seven to get into our Lotus Summer of Fun. Boy, interesting weekend in uh, female sports, right? Women's World Cup team, not so hot. They're out. And the Aces get a little bit of a wake-up call. Probably didn't want to have, uh, have it happen that way by that margin, but I'm sure Becky Hammond isn't flipping out. A little bit of a season reset as they get sure. just freaking destroyed. I don't know. Becky doesn't take that kind of stuff. We'll get to that loss against New York and how the star player is reacting. I don't think it's the right way to react. But, you know, as we've, as we've explained before, and it's Cofield, JVT, and come on here, Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas, um, there are sports that don't get covered a lot, and when they get covered intensely and expectations rise, and I'll say it, they get covered like the men, it's a little bit different. And the U.S. women's soccer team – Absolutely got covered like a male team favorite in an international competition. Plus, it was already a group that many people disliked, or at least they disliked a couple of the players, led by Megan Rapino. Did you stay up to watch the game? No. Damon, did you stay up to watch the game? Not a chance. What? Really not a chance? What do you mean not a chance? I thought you were into this a little bit. A little, but they threw me off when these times I can't stay up. Yeah, I mean, and for my thing, because I said that very dismissively, it's not because I don't want to watch the U.S. women's because I already have to get up early. You know, I'm a guy who fit in those like three, four hours and then I have to go about my day. So I got a lot of time. Okay. Well, I'll do it for the FIBA World Cup, though, because I have to. Uh, lose to Sweden, PKs. <laughs> lose the way they did. And Megan Rapino missed a penalty kick. Oh, boy. This is a recipe for just shredding especially by casual male sports fans and don't for you don't leave out the most important details steve she smiled well we're gonna get to that um it's interesting listening to dan patrick recap what just happened this morning over on our sister station fox sports las vegas he had taylor twelman on who's a good voice on soccer and I thought this part of the conversation was interesting because they were, at least DP was saying he was blown away by the way they're being covered and treated. So listen to Dan Patrick here and see if you can jog his memory a bit, if we've ever seen and heard something like this before. I forgot how polarizing they were to a certain segment of, of America. And, and there, were, there were people celebrating the U.S. I don't remember a U.S. team playing on a big stage in any sport where – we reacted or people reacted that way. Like, yeah, good. I'm glad. Go home. Why? Okay, this is... I, I don't know if Dan was doing Sports Talk Radio back 
around 2004 and 2006 with mm-hmm. the U.S. men's basketball team. So maybe he didn't get the full scope of what you know talk radio is and then fan interaction. This is one one millionth of what Team USA men got in basketball simply because it's the NBA. The NBA is so much bigger than any female sport has ever been. Now, I'm not saying what the women are getting here uh, isn't significant because it's probably more than they've ever gotten before. I was going to say, I don't think it was anywhere near that level, but also what came to mind was Team USA back in 2021 in the Olympics for basketball, fresh off the bubble, right? You're in the midst of COVID, all of the social justice conversations around that team. Then they lose a friendly to Nigeria, and everybody's just at their throat. Let's go. So absolutely, those teams dealt with, there were Americans who were like, good, I'm glad they lost. So I was surprised that Patrick said he'd never seen this before. I have. I bring it up all the time. I think it's one of the most harshly treated teams uh, in the history of sports. People did not like those groups at all. And I love the question at the end there, why? What do you mean, why? With the women's team? Now, Taylor Twelman will get into some of the reasons here, but do, do we want to we mention why so many people root against this women's team? Come on. Politics, man. A lot of it. A lot of it. Megan Rapinoe Mm -hmm. is very polarizing. If you don't agree with some of the stuff she said and done, then yes. Even an American team will have people rooting against them. Uh, Here's Taylor Twellman as he kind of warms up here trying to answer Dan Patrick's question of why was this women's team disliked by so many people? Why were there so many people stomping on their grave on Sunday into today? Because that's the world we live in now, Dan. I mean, listen, I, honestly, I've never seen a red, white, and blue team rooted against as much as the U.S. women. And it's equal pay. It's diversity. It's the fact that Megan Rapino was the first athlete to back Colin Kaepernick and support him when she knelt. They, then it's the cameras all over them. They're not singing the national anthem now. They're as polarizing as any group. Okay, they're, uh, they're not as polarizing as the U.S. men's team. I was doing sports talk radio at the time. It was so much bigger, but they are polarizing. So I'm sorry if Dan Patrick and Taylor Twellman can't remember, but I do. I was doing sports talk radio at the time, and I was blown away back then. Uh, you know, I'm going to take that back. I wasn't blown away. Um, let's just do the why. The why for the U.S. men's team back in the early 2000s is the team is predominantly African-American. The why now is because Megan Rapinoe leading the way is gay. And there are a lot of people out there who are anti-female. And by people, I mean guys. There are a lot of guys who aren't comfortable with women amassing more power and speaking up and being heard, and it makes them uncomfortable. And they file it away, and they're like, I can't wait to get them. They're going to get theirs. How dare you speak up in this male-dominated sports world? That's reality. So you can call it diversity. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. All right? That's what it is with Megan Rapinoe. And it's the other stuff. It's the stuff with the national anthem. It's the fight for equal pay. Guys, there are a lot of guys who can't stand the equal pay discussion. What? The men generate so much more money, the women don't deserve the same pay for the same sport. Because it's an extension of their, their own existence. They work in their, you know, they, they walk in their workplace and are like, why do I have a female boss now? I never had that before. Why is this female equal to me? Why can't I just sit at the receptionist desk and sexually harass or chat up the female at the front desk for 15 years while I'm on this job? 
Wait, you? Well, I can't. I can't do that anymore. Why not? Because things change. They do, and you have to adjust. And there are a lot of people who are having trouble adjusting. And these themes come up often. You know, when people who didn't have power in the past or have a voice in the past are getting closer to you who had the power, people mm-hmm. squirm. Mm-hmm. So Megan Rapinoe's the target, and then she misses a penalty kick, and then. From there, all hell's going to break loose because she has to react a certain way or else. Do you think that this is – so the conversation around them being kind of floored around, like the coverage, right, and the rooting against the the women for mm-hmm. the World Cup. I'm talking mm-hmm. about Twelman and, and Dan Patrick. Is this an extension of what we're talking about when it comes to covering female sports in general? When you're talking about like, hey, you know, female sports, when you want to start getting covered the way male sports do, mm-hmm. they're not used to being held, you know, not being held to the standards, but getting criticized the way that the men are, you know, being crucified for yeah. the lack of all that kind of stuff. And in a weird way, it's kind of the same thing here with Twoman and Dan Patrick, where they're like, like, I've, I like don't they're really. shocked at the coverage. Yeah, they're shocked. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't remember anything like this. Yeah. Like, no, you you can. Yeah. Like, this is this is kind of actually what some men teams have already gone yeah. through, as you've and, already pointed out. And there's two different things, like covering this women's soccer team based on the expectations. And also the way they reacted after that draw where they look kind of happy and celebratory mm-hmm. to get into this round, that's one thing. Criticizing because you've got longstanding lack of comfort with female athletes, and in this case, the leader, one of the leaders of the team, the vocal leader of the team, is homosexual, that's a, diff- that's a whole different thing. Mm-hmm. So it's a perfect storm. And they're going to have to deal with it, and they do have to clean things up. Obviously, you go into a tournament as the favorite and you get bounced in the round of 16, something went very wrong. And Carly Lloyd tried to point it out last week, and people got super offended at it. Uh, Twelman even mentions, you know, some of the issues with the team, and that um, he got blowback because he simply agreed with Carly Lloyd. Because that's the world we live in now, Dan. I mean, listen, I, honestly, I've never seen a red, white, and blue Same team cut. rooted against as much. Do as we have a number three or not? No, no? double fine. up cut. That's fine. Um, he actually mentions that because he agreed with Carly Lloyd, he was being called a bigot. <laughs> See, that's where it's like, come on. You've got to be able to criticize this team for the right things. Yeah. But there are a lot of people who watch female sports, and when the blowback comes at them, like the men get, they're like, whoa, this never happens. Like, it does. You're just not used to it. Now, I will say, on the tying into Carly Lloyd and whatnot, part of what happened, I think, there with Carly Lloyd is she has her own beliefs <laughs> that, right, that I think a lot of people like took her criticisms. I was reading even, I was reading a think piece after our show the other day when we played the Carly Lloyd piece, and, and they tied it into Carly Lloyd didn't want to kneel. And it was like, well, like, I think she was having valid criticisms of a team she used to play for. Right. It's kind of, it's kind of a, a really far stretch to make that. And, but people will make that connection. And thus, if you agree with her by extension, you're, of course, in the same political camp I'm, and all of this kind of I stuff. I mean, there's a possibility that Carly Lloyd and Hope Solo were not on board with some of the other stuff that the women were speaking up for. I bet you they were on board for the equal pay. Of course. But for some of the other causes, you don't expect a, a group of 25 people to all be on the same page, and maybe they do hold grudges down the road, and, hey, when they get a chance to pounce on you, then they pounce on you. Which, by the way, is great about all of this is, like you said, they're waiting to pounce after, what, the two World Cups and all of the success people like Rapino have had. You've had to wait until this moment, like, oh, when, you could have won three World yeah, Cups, yeah, losers? Yeah, when she's 38 years old. <laughs> well, she's not what she was. Yep, we're keeping an eye on what's going on with the uh, conference chaos in college sports because there's going to be another couple of steps here with the uh, Pac-4 and what's going to happen to those schools. Brett McMurphy, as of an hour ago, said uh, Big 12 has, quote, no appetite to add any of the Pac-4 schools or San Diego State. Tough break for the Aztecs. Hate to see that. (laughs) 
Uh, Boise State, the most arrogant fan base in the conference. Uh, not mentioned. Okay. I was going to say, surely they're, surely you meant Boise State, not San Diego State, right? Surely the Big 12 was called about Boise. We'll get to a little NFL in our number two, but I did want to throw this out there since John is on today and he is a Colts fan. And this is going to be one of the more intriguing stories in the NFL. It's camp, so keep that in mind. No. I'm just warning everyone. No, no, no. no. Uh, Anthony Richardson on video and then people reporting his measurables of 6'4 and 255, the quarterback drafted out of Florida. Could he be the starter week one for the Colts? Yes. I thought he was a project. Uh, but here's the thing with projects. Let him grow, man. Let him make mistakes. Let him do it. Let's go. Why do you make that face? I think I was just breathing. Oh, okay. Well, because you did an eyebrow raise thing, too. So thought you No, I was just thinking when uh, Minshew Mania would be in there, and if Stop. it's better to start with him for six games or you just rip off the scab and get your young but, guy out there. Like, and with that regard, because that's such an old-school way of thinking, right? It's like, ah, oh, you know, you got to let the young kids sit. Let the veterans start. I don't know why I'm doing that voice. Uh-huh. But it's... Like, if you're going down that path, then in the first six weeks, whatever it is, Anthony Richardson is doing what in practice? He's working with the twos. He's not doing game plan stuff as much. Like He's there, but it's not a week that's focused on tailoring a game plan on him. Just let him do it from day one. There's no difference between week one and week Well, if he's completely unprepared, then he's way behind Minshew or and you know a below-average starting quarterback. You don't want to have the kid's confidence ruined coming out of the gates. Now, that said... Josh Allen wasn't very good his first year, but the you know similarly built 6'5 and 245-pound Josh Allen went out there early right, and, and took his freaking lumps and got shredded for it uh, and never lost his confidence. So would you say like 26 touchdowns and like 28 interceptions and a 3-13 and record is probably a pretty poor? Like no all-time great quarterback has ever put up numbers like that their rookie year. Yeah, Peyton Manning, let's go. Who was it? Peyton Manning. I know. That's, uh, that's I walked just, right into it. Right. So I, like that's I, you lob me the softball and I throw it right back at you for you to hit a home run. Because uh, that's the whole point. Like let him make mistakes. Because I I feel like and again I'm not a psychologist whatever. But if you approach it the right way, where it's like, look, we know you're going to make mistakes. That's the whole point of this rookie year. Then by extension, your confidence doesn't really get shot because you know what this whole process is. I'm sure there's wavering of it. But I think you feel better when you know, and the coaches know, this is what this is about. You're not a Joey Harrington or a David Carr that's thrown behind bad offensive lines that's just, go get him, kid, and just get absolutely wrecked physically on top of not playing good football. Like, you're on a somewhat decent roster, you're allowed to make mistakes, and you're allowed to grow. And I think that's part of what you want to do here. And by all accounts, too, in camp, he's done really well, so it's not like he's struggling to pick up this game. All right, football season is here. Raiders camp open. UNLV football camp is open. College football week zero is August 26th, and we've got a full bank of uh, preseason games in the NFL coming up this week. Damon, Cofield, and JBT, we've been previewing from the, the back of the season to the front, the opponents this year for UNLV football, and Wyoming is up. Always love to talk about this program. Good power football program, great fan base, well-funded. Cody Tucker covers the program for 7220 Sports, and he's up with John and Steve. How are you, sir? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate you. Uh, we are fired up. We are fired up for this football season. Hopes are a little higher for UNLV. And uh, one of those things that could happen and they'd like to have happen is actually be a lot more competitive and maybe beat Wyoming. That hasn't been the case the last couple of years. But let's let's talk about Wyoming starting last year. Give me your impressions of last year, good season, probably not the season they wanted to have, but good season. And no, you know what though, fellas, they were they weren't expected to do anything. They were the third youngest, uh, had the third youngest roster in the country, and uh, a new quarterback, of course, Andrew Peasley coming over from Utah State. 
lost a ton to the transfer portal the year previous, a lot of starters. And, uh, you know, really, I believe they were picked to finish just ahead of New Mexico last year. So they really came in with not a lot of pressure and, uh, you know, come out of the gate and, and uh, really played poor at Illinois, which scared fans even more, but then picked it up against Tulsa and then had the big win over Air Force and kind of just uh, got on a little roll there. I think they exceeded expectations all the way around, went to a bowl game. Uh, I think if you asked Greg Bolt before last year if he thought he was going to be in a bowl game, if he was being honest with you, he probably would have said, I have no idea to possibly absolutely not. So um, <laughs> I, think they, I, I think they did uh, – I think they had a fantastic year, to be honest. Okay. And I think uh, a lot of them won't tell you that, but they feel it too. And uh, a lot of guys, they, they really um, did well in the transfer portal this year, and, and now they're one of the oldest teams in the country. So uh, a lot of guys with experience coming back. So tell us about the portal. How did they do well? Uh, you know, if you look at the numbers just with the naked eye, it says 17 or 18. But, you know, I tell you, um, 14 of those guys, uh, 13 of those guys never even saw the field. So um, they, they did lose Joshua Cobbs, a wide receiver, to Houston. They lost Olawasi Show, an edge rusher, to uh, Oregon State. And Cam Stone went over to Hawaii. Other than that, uh, you know, they replaced a running back room with Harrison Whaley, a 2,000-yard back from Northern Illinois. And they really went hard on the JUCO route and picked up some guys there. Um, I, I just I really feel like they really did a great job as far as the portal went. They, just, they didn't lose many impact players. They lost a couple starters. Other than that, I mean, they're loaded at almost every position on the field now, and they have depth everywhere except the offensive line right now, which is weird under Craig Bull. Usually that's where they have a ton of depth, but uh, you'd be hard-pressed, guys, to find a position on this team that doesn't have guys with playing experience. And to put that all in perspective with the transfer portal and stability and not losing a bunch of guys, uh, Colorado State at Media Day or Media Days for the Mountain West Conference – Jay Novell was talking about, I think he said he had 39 new players. Uh, UNLV's turned over their roster a lot to the tune of 40-plus. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's a necessity and sometimes it works out. But you're right, it's hard for guys to come in and be really good and blend in and get a lot of playing time in year one out of the portal. How does or how do the Cowboys get better offensively this year? Uh, you know, they're, they're always going to be a run-first team. As you mentioned uh, in the opener, they're, uh, they're going to be a smash-mouth team. They're going to run the ball a ton. What they need to do and what they've been missing since Josh Allen left is just simply having a competent passing game. They don't need anything crazy. They're not going to throw the ball 40 times a game. Uh, you know, Craig Bull likes to yell at me all the time and say, I'm not going to be Mike Leach. Uh, nobody's asking for that. Uh, you know, I think simply you get up around 62 64% uh, completion percentage. Um, don't turn the ball over, obviously. I think you're, you're looking at some good things for this group. And yeah, I mean, guys, it's been unbelievable to see how good this running game has been and it has not opened passing lanes at all. Um, so that's been the really big elephant in the room. And I know they've changed a lot of things this year. They've changed a lot of scheme, a lot of the way they practice, uh, going downfield a lot more. They did add two wide receivers in the transfer portal. Devin Body from, uh, Vanderbilt, who obviously SEC guy, he can absolutely fly. And Ayer Asante, a kid out of Holy Cross, who had 1,700 receiving yards and 16 touchdowns during his career. So they're really, really trying to get that going. And if they do, uh, look out. In, in looking at the passing game and the quarterback play in general, is Peasley cemented in as a starting quarterback? If it is, what, what kind of leap do you expect him to make? Because some of the numbers you know, tying to the anemic passing game weren't really great for him. Do you expect a really for, a, a strong step forward for Peasley if he's the guy? Yes, um, he is 100% the guy. Uh, Craig Bull mentions it a lot, and even Andrew admitted it at media days. You know, we hear this stuff and we think of it as coach speak, that 
he was at Utah State. He never even had a tight end, never took a snap under center. He comes here to a pro-style offense, and he's expected to know the entire playbook, personnel, the whole nine. And really, when you think about all that stuff, which is basically learning a foreign language, uh, he, he exceeded a lot of expectations in his own right last year. Could have been way better, however. This year, way more comfortable, knows the offense inside now, got rid of a bulky leg brace he had on his right leg. And now they know who they know a little bit more about these backup quarterbacks, so they're going to let him run a little more. Last year they really had him on a leash, didn't want him running very much. He's not a big human being, but that's a big part of his game. And I think not even so much running, but scrambling around the pocket, uh, you know, looking for guys, doing some sandlot ball, to you know, for lack of a better term. And and I think Andrew's primed to have a much better year. He's much better than he showed last year. Uh, a perfect example, guys, he was 5 of 20 for 30 yards and in an interception at Illinois in the opener. He turns around the next week, throws three touchdowns, 270 yards, and is named the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Week. That was kind of Andrew Peasley's 2022 season. Uh, Cody Tucker with us. You can find him up on Twitter, Cody Tucker underscore 7220. Uh, all right, so let's talk a little bit about the offensive line and turning this thing over because uh, by some accounts, only five starters coming back. Um, how do you look at the offensive line when it's tied so strongly into the run game? Are there some good competitions that uh, are going to go a long way toward deciding how good this run game is going to be? Yeah, there's going to be some youth up there, guys. And usually Craig Bowles always had a veteran offensive line up front. Uh, they did lose Emmanuel Pregnon to USC in the transfer portal. That's another one I should have mentioned. They they lost him right after the spring game. Uh, a big a big loss there at right guard. A uh, very good player, obviously. USC doesn't just uh, take anyone, as we know. Um, so he's going to be tough to replace, no doubt about it. But Frank Crum, six foot eight, three hundred and thirty pounds. He's moving over to the left tackle. Uh, Caden Barnett, another young guy, is moving over to the right. Uh, Thea uh, Tulafono is a center who's probably going to be a first-team guy at the end of the year. Uh, they do have some pieces, but they're going to have to bring in some young guys, and a lot of it's going to rest on this uh, a kid named Wes King. He's, he's very young. He's a retro freshman. Craig Bull doesn't like to play these youngsters really on the line, so it's kind of a necessity. Uh, there's some guys behind him, too. They're big. They're strong. They're just unproven. So, uh, you know, if there's one thing that people can't doubt, it's that Craig Bull knows how to find offensive linemen and how to develop them. Talking Wyoming football, Rebels will take on Wyoming here in Vegas on November 10th, so we're doing opponent previews for the Rebel football team. Boy, the beginning of the schedule this year, outline for the Vegas audience what uh, the Cowboys have coming out of the gates. Yeah, Texas Tech, September 2nd, 5.30 game. That's on CBS. Uh, uh, Wyoming Athletic Director Tom Berman indicated yesterday that is going to be a sellout, so and, and it should be. Um, but the Cowboys actually, I know you see Texas there in week three. Appalachian State is going to be uh, coming to Laramie as well. Cowboys do have seven home games this year and only five away games. And no offense to UNLV or anybody in Nevada, but you got to like that at the end there, you're going, your road games are in Las Vegas and in Reno. Um, really, you can look at it half glass full, half glass empty. Yeah, Texas, Texas Tech, those are a couple of bears, but. I tell you, uh, your head coach there at UNLV knows what it's like to bring a Missouri team into here that was an 18-point favorite in 2019, and they left with a big L uh, in Memorial Stadium. It's not a not an easy place to play, and when the weather's warm, that makes the uh, elevation even harder to play in. So Texas Tech's going you know, to walk into a hornet's nest, no doubt about it. So I, I, I like the, the seven home games, and then, of course, Air Force is one of those road games as well. Uh, it almost feels like there's eight home games. A uh, ton of Wyoming fans make the three-hour trip down to Colorado Springs, so Kind of like the way it plays out, and if we're circling games, uh, you know, they're playing at Boise State later in the year, I believe in late October. 
uh, have not won up there before, uh, like a lot of Mountain West teams can say, that's a big one. And that's one that I think is circled with these guys. So give me your take on what's going on the last couple of days with this conference chaos and the possibility that <laughs> Mountain West could be bringing teams in or potentially getting broken up. Oh, man. Well, of course, it's all purely speculation, but I, I, guys, I just I don't know about you, but I, I just don't see the leg that Oregon State and Washington State have to stand on, and I don't see Stanford and Cal uh, playing in the same conference with the likes of San Jose State, Fresno State, San Diego State, et cetera. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you really got to focus on these two, Wazoo and, and OSU, and see if you can get them in. I mean, I, I know there's a lot more to this, but Corvallis and Pullman, those are those are absolute college towns. And, and I've always thought they'd be such a great fit in the Mountain West. And I, I know that's not what they want. Uh, you know, it's obviously a huge cut, huge money, a huge money cut. Uh, but And the prestige, I guess, of the Pac-12, of course, and all that. But I really feel like they don't have a leg to stand on. I mean, they don't have the TV deal. They don't have the juice. I, I feel like the Mountain West and this new commissioner seems aggressive. She seems like she doesn't she doesn't back down, you know, it's time instead of being the reactionary conference, it's time to go out there and, and get it. In my opinion, go get them. The mountain West could also do nothing. Uh, the ball's in the mountain West court in so many ways. So they could either stand pat or they can say, Hey, OSU Wazoo, you want to join? If not, Oh, well, we're, we're moving forward. If it's a doomsday scenario and somehow Klyavkov and the PAC 12 and Apple can convince the mountain West team, some of them schools to come over with the PAC four, can you make the case for Wyoming? I like a lot of what Wyoming has going on, but I think a lot of people don't know about the school, the area, the fan base, the funding, the programs. Sure. Uh, pitch, pitch that. If you know, if you were talking to a Pac-12 people, you're like, "Hey, Wyoming is a positive." Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I think Wyoming's athletic director Tom Berman put it perfectly yesterday in a, in a local podcast here that you could really be irrelevant in your own city. And I'm sure you guys have seen plenty of that in Las Vegas. Uh, UNLV, you know, you got the Golden Knights, you got the Raiders, soon to have the A's. You know, UNLV basketball, when it's going, it's going good. Uh, but, you know, you can be in a big market and be irrelevant. San Jose State's the same way. Um, however, in Wyoming, yeah, we only have 500,000 plus in this entire state, but everybody to some degree is invested into the University of Wyoming. They're also backed by the Wyoming State Legislature. We have one four-year university. They're backed by the legislature. Wyoming is absolutely is not losing money at all. They're they're making money, and you know the thing that guys forget forget about too often. Denver is right down the road, and where do you think Wyoming graduates go? So if you want to get into the TV market thing, you have a passionate fan base here that actually cares about the Cowboys, watches the Cowboys religiously. Plus, they have thousands of of graduates right down on the front range in Denver, Colorado, that absolutely own a part of that TV market. So uh, Wyoming's got a long tradition. Uh, They have a national championship in basketball like UNLV does. Uh, In football, they've done the Sugar Bowl thing. They've they've been relevant in this conference. They're a founding member of the Mountain West and the WAC. Uh, You know, and Tom Berman mentioned it yesterday that CSU, Air Force, New Mexico, and Utah State need to stick together with Wyoming, and if that happens, then nothing's happening to the Mountain West. There will not be any dissolving of the Mountain West. They will all be united, and as of now, they are. But we all know, fellas, money speaks. Yep. seventy-two twenty Sports, uh, great job as always, Cody. We'll uh, talk to you later in the season. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Thanks. Yeah, I like what they got going out there. I don't love going to Laramie, but I get it. I get what they have going on, and he just mentioned, um, you want to talk about united as an area? 
there behind that program. And there are there are other programs that have major markets that they're tied to, but you know they don't always uh, they don't always get the attention from most of the fans in that major market. 